It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mommy is telling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks to her sunken dream to the seat with the clearest view and she's hooked to the silver screen but the film is a saddening bore for she's lived it ten times or more she could spit in the eyes of fools as they ask her to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall Oh, man, look at those cavemen go. It's the freakiest show. Take a look at that lawman beating up the wrong guy. Oh, man, wonder if he'll ever know. It's in the best-selling show. Is the life on Mars. It's on America's tortured brow That Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow Now the workers have struck for fame Cause Lennon's on sale again See the mice and the million horns From Ibiza to Norfolk Rocks Rule Britannia's out of bounds to my mother, my dog, and clowns. But the film is a saddening bar, cause I wrote it ten times or more. It's about to be written again, as I ask you to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall. Oh man, look at those cavemen go. It's the freakiest show. Take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. Oh man, wonder if he'll ever know. He's in the best-selling show. Is the life on Mars? Okay. Okay. Hi guys. <clears throat> So, uh, that was really embarrassing for me, but I'm trying to, to really get into it. Trying to sing, trying to get over my embarrassment and really belt some shit out. Uh, I'm not going to lie. All I could think while I was singing it was flat, 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 flat. Uh, but I'll, I'm just trying so hard to just get over it, just get into the mood of it and feel it. Uh, but the thing that I, you're so, you're all, every girl who's here is just, if you're listening at home and you're chastising me, I promise, the women here are giving me so much praise, and I've actually had to close my eyes a little bit because it's too much praise too quickly. They didn't do anything wrong, I promise. Uh, nobody did anything wrong. Uh, I just, uh, I just, I want to, I just, I want to get as good as I can. And that's, uh, and that's actually what I want to talk about. That song's actually extremely hard. 
that song is actually extremely difficult. I've had a, a big love affair with it ever since I saw a TV show by the same name. I am actually have been a big fan of David Bowie uh, for a long time now. Uh, David Bowie is one of the artists from the 70s and whatnot that I actually didn't listen to growing up that I got into as an adolescent on my own. Uh, my parents were not Bowie heads in any way, and uh, there were no Bowie records or anything lying around the house. So I was not exposed to Bowie. Uh, I thought Ziggy Stardust was very silly. When I was a kid, I looked at uh, performance artists like David Bowie in the Ziggy Stardust period, or Allison Cooper, or Kiss, or Guar, and I laughed. And I thought, that's so dumb. Uh, now that's exactly what I want to do. Like literally day in and day out, every single food choice I make is trying to become a little bit more Guar, is trying to become a little bit more Alice Cooper, is trying to become a little bit more of that. Uh, now I get the joke as an adult, and I think it's so funny, and I want to tell the joke. I want to further the joke in my own way, because I can be even... I, can, I can't be more Guar than Guar. I can never do that. I could never be more Alice Cooper than Alice Cooper. But I can't... Alice Cooper, char Alice Cooper absolutely challenged the shit out of masculinity in his time and place. And I can do that in my time and place. I can challenge it in the exact same way that Alice Cooper did and have fun and be in on the joke. And so uh, I, I look at, at acts like Ziggy Stardust and what have you with awe. But when I was a kid, I looked at Ziggy Stardust and I was like, that's so dumb. And I thought the Space Oddity, the, the David Bowie version, sucked. And I liked the shiny toy gun version, the hip modern version. Anybody know the shiny toy gun version of the song I just, uh, not the song I just sang, but the shiny toy gun version of uh, Captain Tom? Because that's what I liked. I thought David Bowie was old and stupid and dumb. And then I saw a movie that changed everything for me. Not just David Bowie. Actually changed a lot of things for me. And I fell in love with it immediately. I liked this movie so much that I immediately got my first girlfriend, my first adult girlfriend, after watching this movie. So this movie and David Bowie actually mean a lot to me. Yeah, it's a Heath Ledger vehicle, so some of you are already going to guess just based on that. I was in such a good mood that after I saw this movie, I went to go and get glasses, which I had been putting off. And the girl who was getting the glasses with me was so cute. And I had seen the movie for the third time, but I had brought a friend with me, so it wasn't as lame, right? Seen this movie. I've seen this movie in the theaters for the third time, and so he was there with me. He was gay, because Daddy's always been a fucking open piece of shit. He's always been awesome. He's going to talk about that later. He's, Daddy's going to talk about his being on the front line of gay rights another time, when he's feeling better about himself, and also he's sexier, so that people can make fun of his body, but it'll be fun. Anyway, uh, that'll come in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or 2023 or whenever I finally think I finally have enough of a, uh, of a stomach to, to pull it off as a straight guy talking about gay culture in the 90s from the front line. It's going to be great. I've been working on it for two months now. We'll see what happens. Anyhow, you can tell I'm in a fucking good mood. You can tell I'm fucking, fucking feeling it, baby. All right. So this movie, Heath Ledger, and uh, I see him. I'm in such a good mood this third time uh, seeing this movie at the Dollar Theater with my friend. I go and uh, I get my glasses. I get some new glasses. I buy some new glasses. Back then, it took two weeks in America. Uh, nowadays, you literally cannot walk out with someone throwing the glasses at the back of your fucking head. Uh, it's so quick anymore. It's ridiculous. But back then, it was two weeks. 
And so I was flirting with this gal and the, my gay friend was like, mm, she's flirting with you. I'm like, I don't know. And then at one point she just takes off my glasses and she's just, she's like a whole foot shorter than me. And she's just staring as hard as she can into my eyes. And she's clearly giving me the whole like, hey, dude, I'm giving you a message here. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this message is. Probably nothing. Let me think about the movie. Huh, it's a good one. Uh, remember that scene you just saw for the third time? <laughs> so I go back two weeks later. And she's there, and she's definitely like she's she's giving me the cold shoulder a little bit because I totally negged, I totally curved her, and she's like, "Why is this guy curving me?" But then, like at the end of it, I'm like, "Hey, thanks for the glasses and everything. Uh, you want to go get coffee or something?" And she turns and she looks at me, and like her eyebrows shoot up and then come down so quick, you'd think it was like a Super Mario ass pound jump. You know that jump that Mario does in the 2D games where he jumps up and then you could immediately go right back down and hit the ground with your ass? Her eyebrows did that. Her eyebrows registered surprise and then incredible indignation and frustration and then kind of lightened up a little bit and was like, okay. Don't know why you wouldn't ask for coffee when I was saying fuck me with my eyes, but all right. I guess this is your game. She was actually a lovely girl. We had a nice dating relationship until I gaslit her. Gaslighter! 2020. Gaslighter! I gotta make it a James Bond song first. I gotta celebrate what a shitty person I was. Otherwise, it's no good. Gaslighter! Lighten up my mind! You twist and turn like a neon sign. Gaslighter. Okay. Wow, you guys are really on board with that, and you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. I'm talking about some horrible part of me. <laughs> I know why I have to make it funny to talk about it publicly. I don't know why you have to laugh quite as hard as you just were. Interesting. We found a psychological weak point. Is he gaslighting me by singing the gaslighting song and getting me to laugh about his gaslighting? Maybe. Maybe I found a workaround. <gasps> I am the red pill. Okay. So, this movie. I love this movie so much. I've been talking about this movie. I was in such a good move, movie, mood that this gal got asked out. And we had a whole relationship, and we had our whole, uh, I had my whole first adult relationship, her full first adult relationship. We were in our early, early 20s. Uh, we, we transitioned into our early 20s together, I should say. And, uh, yeah, all because of this movie. So, does anybody know what the movie is? The movie is a knight's tale. Well done. The movie is a knight's tale. Saw the Knight's Tale four times in theaters, twice for full price, twice at the Dollar Theater. And I absolutely loved it. I It was kind of one of these perfect storm movies for me. There's some movies that are just perfect storms for me, like Dracula Dead and Loving It. Dracula Dead and Loving It, not a good movie. But I'm in love with every member of that cast, so I love Dracula Dead and Loving It. I love Mel Brooks. I love Leslie Nielsen. I love Steven Weber. I love Yasmin Bleeth. I love all, I love Peter McNichols. I love all of them. And so I love Dracula Dead and Loving It. I can't help it. If you love every actor in a movie, you're done. Even if the movie's awful, and it is, you love it. 
It's such a shitty movie. I love it. I smile the whole way through. It's the worst fucking, it's not the worst. It's one of the worst Mel Brooks movies, though. It really is. It really is, like, at the bottom tier. It's horrible. The only good line is, they open a coffin in a mausoleum. There's a beautiful, radiant woman in there that they assume is a corpse. Steven Weber goes, she's alive? Mel Brooks goes, she is nos ferrato. And Stephen Webbers goes, She's Italian? That's the only good line of that whole fucking movie. That's it. It's the only fucking funny line. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I'll give it to it. It's a brilliant fucking line. But no. <laughs> so, Rufus Sewell. I love from Dark City. Rufus Sewell. I love from Dark City. Okay, I already love Dark City. I'm already all up the ass of Dark City. I I still like I still kind of mad Kiefer Sutherland became Jack Bauer because that's what he's known for now. Because in Dark City, he's doing his best Peter Laurie, and it's it's really good. It's it's the best fucking Kiefer Sutherland there is, and it's. If you if you if you want a stuttering Kiefer Sutherland nerd scientist, Dark City is the fucking one for you. So I love Rufus Sewell. He's the bad guy. I love Roland. I love Paul Bantney. I'm already into all these guys before Night Story. I don't know Keith Ledger. Keith Ledger. I don't know the gal. And that's okay, because she doesn't become a famous actress at all. She's basically in two movies with Heath Ledger, and then she goes back to DJing like a mad cunt! Hey, it was early 2000s when she was a DJ, so that's how they did it. Mad! That's too early 2000s DJing. The more MP3s you could sneak in and layer over music, the more talented you were. Don't call them MP3s, though, because then people will think it's not music. <sighs> All of this is a warm-up about this whole fucking David Bowie thing. We haven't even gotten started yet. So I just want to say this is a cherished memory, this movie, and I loved it. I love everything about it. And it introduced me to David Bowie. For those of you who don't know, A Night Story is a story that takes place in the 1300s, I want to say, maybe 1200s. And it involves knights, involves knights going around and jousting. It's kind of a sports movie, but the sport is knights jousting on horses instead of basketball or football. It's kind of a sports romance. Uh, there's a lot of sports ro Some people out there going, hey, sports romance. Yes. Like Hoosiers, or The Replacements, or, or, or. There's plenty of sports stories where the guy is just trying to teach the team. He falls in love. Uh, okay, it's one of those. Except the sport is night, nighting, is nightery, is nightery. And at one sequence, this guy is who's pretending to be a knight. I wonder why it's a metaphor for me. This guy who's pretending to be a knight gets called up to this big party and they ask him to do a dance from his homeland that he's pretending to be from. And the gal, the romantic interest, the princess, saves him. She saves him by walking forward and offering her hand. 
and they start dancing. But the way that the music comes in, it sounds like it's from the 1200s. It goes... It starts swaying and a little picking up. And all these people in these beautiful 1200s costumes are grabbing each other's hands and doing this very courtly dance. And then it slowly starts picking up. And they start dancing, not in a modern way, but in a much more fun, a much more hip swingy way. It still looks very official. But then the golden years. Don't let me see you crying. Angel! Golden years. The first time I hear it, I think, well, that's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting that, that it transitions from that song into this David Bowie song. But the second time I watch it, I'm listening, and I realize there's no transition. That's all just one song. They may be playing up and down parts of it, but that's literally just how that song starts. It sounds like it could start in the 1200s, and then it picks up. And it comes mid-1900s, late-1900s. Golden years. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And I realize I can kind of do that a little bit. And I can kind of... Golden years. I can kind of sound like I'm just a little... Oh, that's interesting. That comes out like that. And so I start listening to David Bowie. And I start trying to imitate him just a little bit. This is a long time ago. Just a little bit. Just trying to learn. And I realize, like, there's a couple of things that Bowie sings that I can actually name. I can actually, my little China girl. Huh, that kind of sounds like him. That's interesting. And so I start getting into David Bowie. I start really enjoying David Bowie. David Bowie becomes a little bit more a part of my life throughout the late 1900s. Or late 1900s. Yeah, late 1900s, early 2000s. It's still technically true. Yeah. And then, of course, a couple of years ago, he dies, and that's very sad. It's very sad. Uh, I put on some of his music while I'm drunk to cry and listen. I've lost a lot of music icons in the last couple of years. David Bowie wasn't really one of the music icons that I lost in the last few years. Tom Petty is, is much more in line with that. I listened to Tom Petty all my life. Losing Tom Petty was actually very hard for me. I decided not to make a public like statement or to do about it, but losing Tom Petty was actually very, very hard for me. So... Uh, David Bowie dies, and I listen to some of his music. I listen to some of his albums. I give Lazarus, his most recent album, very sad. I talk about it with a couple of close friends. I'm very sad. It's very sad. David Bowie dies. And for about a year, that's the case. David Bowie died, and I'm very sad. To the point where uh, Rick and, I was watching Rick and Morty season two, and they just there's a, there's a bit where Jermaine Clements from uh, Flight of the Concords does a David Bowie impression for a song, and that impression was good enough that I cried. Because I wasn't expecting it. Like, that's, like, I was like, oh, man. I was really, I was really not expecting that. And I was really sad. And all the people I mentioned to were really sad. But then, one day, just reading the interwebs, I happened to come across a story that changes everything. Now, the last piece of information you need to know before I get into this, before the sadness ends and we get into the indignation portion of this fucking piece, the thing that you need to get into this about David Bowie is that I would never have sung him publicly like I did or talked about him or his meaningfulness to be because he was too important and because if you sing David Bowie or if you sing like David Bowie, people immediately jump on you like, Don't sing like David Bowie! Oh, my God, you can sing like that! And I agreed with him. 
Because only David Bowie sung like that, so only David Bowie gets to sing like that. And I would never, ever, 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 ever take it away from such a good man. But then I found something out. So hold on to your asses if you're a David Bowie fan like I was. So here's the truth about David fucking Bowie that I never expected. By the way, quick quotes, get them ready. Quick quotes. Ali, show what a quick quote looks like so everybody can get their quick quote ready. Give them a nice little example there. Everybody get your quick quotes as we finish up this fucking segment called Fucking David Bowie, the way David Bowie fucked that 14-year-old girl. Are you ready? From the title of this segment, you're probably not going to know what this segment is about. I'm with you. But just once more, just to get ready, the title of this segment so that you can assign your own trigger warnings is Fucking Over the Memory of David Bowie. The way he physically fucked over that 14-year-old girl. Here we go. All right, let's have fun. Here we go. All right. So really and truly, for after a year after David Bowie died, nobody said anything. I talked about David Bowie. No one said any of this to me. So if this is news to you, it was news to me. After a lifetime of talking about David Bowie with friends and family, no one ever said this. After a year of his passing talking about him, no one ever said it. And then I come across an article. It is selling a book. It is written from the first-person perspective. It is the 14-year-old girls. And unlike stuff like Finding Neverland with Michael Jackson where the estate is trying to tamp it down or say it never happened, the estate, the David Bowie estate, knows that this 14-year-old girl has evidence that her and David Bowie were together. They were together sexually. She goes on and on the first person about having sex with him in the bath. Now, that's already really gross. Okay? That's really gross and that's really wrong and that really offends me. It does. But life is weird, and David Bowie did a lot of coke. So while that's horrible and awful, and he got to stop being an icon, I wouldn't put him on blast for just that, because he's dead. What's the point? No, here's why David Bowie goes from guy that I'm not going to put on blast to guy that I'm going to put on blast every time, and then sing his songs for money is not that he had sex with a 14-year-old girl repeatedly, not that he led her on romantically, not that he gave her some kind of insinuation that they were going to have some kind of future together. No. All of that's awful, but that's not why. No, the reason why David Bowie's on blast and I'll sing whatever fucking Bowie song I want to sing whenever I fucking want to sing it, however I want to sing it, is because he lent that 14-year-old out for other British and American rock stars to have sex with in exchange for money and favor and power. See, not only did he have sex with a woman, a young woman, who could not figure out the difference between the two of them in their life or their power, not only did he do that, but after he did that, he said, Oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> I'm going to pass it to some friends. And that makes him a piece of fucking shit for all eternity. Because everyone does something that they're deeply and horribly ashamed of. People do things that are awful. But he celebrated it. And he wanted to benefit from it. And that's just terrifying to me. When Once you turn a human being into a profit-making enterprise for you, especially once you've already got more money and clout and power than you'll ever need, I, I, I'm not ever going to respect you. I'm never going to respect you. How can all of these people, everyone I've ever met talks about genocides in World War II or the Irish potato famine or some shit. 
how can you be okay with the individual implementation of Holocaust? That is to say, one person taking the humanity out of another for their own extrapolation, gain, and furtherance of their ideology in the world. Because that's what's happening. When a man takes a 14-year-old, has sex with her, it's called grooming. Tells her how great it is and how amazing she is. And then asks her, wouldn't it be fun if you did it with one of my rock star friends too? There's only one kind of mindset that goes there. And it's not a good look on anyone who does. And, if I may be so bold, I don't really think you can cross that line and come all the way back. You can get redeemed. You can redeem yourself, but you're never going to be David Bowie again. You're certainly never going to be Ziggy Stardust. Not to me. You're just the asshole who sang it. Just like all the other assholes who made some really good art, you're just the asshole who played David Bowie. So, I get to be that asshole too. That is the beginning of my comedy and entertainment show. I hope you all enjoyed it. <laughs> We're looking for quick quotes. If you put your uh, text in quotations, I will read it verbatim. Or I will slip up a little bit and mess up. So uh, I wanted to get that off my chest, that David Bowie thing. Um, I've had that song stuck in my head now for about a month. While we wait for the quick quotes to populate. Uh, it's, been in my, it's been in my head for about a month and I've had complicated feelings about it. So for the first two weeks I was like, I don't know if I want to sing it. Because if I sing it, I have to talk about David Bowie. I can't... I can't, after Finding Neverland, I can't not talk about it. I can't not disseminate the information or the feelings that I have attached to it, especially because it's very complicated. So, uh, going forward, just know that if Daddy's singing David Bowie, his head's going through some real shit. Like, he's chosen a song that's got some real weight. It's not like when he's singing an elbow song or some shit. This isn't like when he's singing Cher. If he's singing Cher, the heaviest thing he's going through is a big bottle of bourbon. God, I'm so funny. I'm so charming. See? See how funny this show's going to get? All right, guys. Quick quotes. Let's start doing them. <clears throat> Do you want... What? Oh, my God. I mess up on the first one. <laughs> David Bowie, spirit, get out of here. All right. I'll go. But I'll be back. This time, more powerful than ever. This is how. This is the sound effect of David Bowie's spirit leaving my body. Ready? Okay. All right. I think I'm. I think I'm on me again. I think I'm on me again. Let's see here. My IQ is down. My charisma is down. My sex appeal is down. Oh yeah. The spirit of David Bowie has definitely left this body. All right, let's go. <clears throat> Do you want me to, baby girl? You're truly a beautiful thing, baby. I love it when you blush. You're not going to walk away without a howdy, are you? One more time on that one. <clears throat> You're not going to walk away without a howdy, are you? Oh, yeah, that's better.
Tonight's the night, baby girl. Come closer and let me whisper in your ear. Welcome home, baby girl. If there's one thing I learned tonight, baby girl, is I'm going to have to hurt that pussy a little more next time. You're so sweet to me. You've had such a long day, baby girl. Let Daddy take care of you. Come sit on my lap, kitten. Daddy has missed you. Don't make me pin you down and edge you for hours, baby girl. I will. Playtime's over, Star Fox. Fox, get these guys off of me. Good girls come for Daddy. And are you a very, very, very good girl? Give me gentle kisses, baby girl. See, I told you, you had nothing to worry about. Everything is fine. It's okay, daddy girl. Come here. Oh my goodness, it's okay, baby girl. Come here. Give daddy a hug. If I ever have a cowboy make a sniper shot after that, Nessie, he's going to go, Kobayasha! 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 Nobody? All right. I feel, I feel road hard and put up wet. There's no way you want that one in a cowboy, right? <clears throat> I feel road hard and put away wet. In my part now, in my parlance, I say, she rode me hard and put me away wet. <laughs> We're ending it. New girls, first-timers, don't you want me to say your name? Don't you want me to say anything at all, a single word? Put it in quotation marks. Come on, new girls. We're closing up. We're moving on. We've got a lot of wonderful requests to get to tonight. lot of love letters. The love letters sent, uh, segment is apparently what you guys have been waiting for. Uh, so if you're new, if you haven't said anything tonight, if you've not made a request this evening, get them on in. Huckleberry, thank you so much for coming out. Appreciate it. And you, Razi, uh, thank you for coming out again. Kaiju, of course, always appreciate you. Come on, girls. I know, I know, I know a couple of you new girls want to say something. Yes. You're only 23? Wow. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> it's okay, princess. I think that's it. I think that's about it. I know I'm so sad too. 
I think that's it for quick quotes. So this is where you pay me! Pay me, pay me, pay me, pay me! We're going to see Allie's notice. Allie has got to go to... Ah, oh, she's so quick. Oh, she didn't do the applause sign, though, because I got her too quick. Were you mid-eating? Were you mid-drinking coffee, Allie? Did I get you? Did I get you? Did I get you? Oh, I love getting Allie. Yes! Put the genie on, goddammit. You're, you're supposed to be handling the genie. Put a genie on it. There we go. Now we're fucking talking. All right. I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I'm enjoying these live shows as they get more and more uh, personalized. I don't know. Singing at the beginning and then insulting the singer and then moving into comedy... Uh, it's weird, but I'm having an amazing time. I hope you guys are too. Uh, in all truth, if you're listening to this in the recording or if you're coming out to the live show, I just want to say there is a great way to show me that you really want these things. You really want this content coming up and out and to you. And that is to tip. That is to come out to the live shows. That is to do all of the rest. Really. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Come out. We've got a great Saturday show. It's going to be at 5 p.m. Eastern uh, next Saturday uh, on the 21st. Please come out. We're putting in a special hour. We'd love to see you. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of people that come out for the Saturday shows. Please do. Every single person who comes out, every single tip I get, every single request I get, everybody who sends in something, it just tells me that you want more and more of this. And I'm just saying from the bottom of my heart, I am loving it. I get excited every Saturday now. It doesn't matter how busy I am. It doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. I'm having a great time at these live shows. If you come out to one, you can often hear me for 10, 20, sometimes even like 40 minutes ahead of a live show just talking because I want to do it and I want to be there. This is my official pitch. Come to the Twitter. If you're listening to this uh, on the recording, come to the Twitter, at Real Grey Knight. Look at my pinned tweets. There's a server invite. Come on in. Most people, most gals who come in, they lurk and lurk and lurk for weeks or months. It's totally fine. You'll get to see me rant and ramble in text. Uh, I'm talking more and more. I'm doing more and more streams. This is the fun part of it for me. Don't get me wrong. I love making the podcast, but the podcast inquires work and effort, and the writing process, and, 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 and there's a business side to it, and there's always like, eh, I just did a licking the pussy. I can't lick the pussy twice in a week. Uh, there's all kinds of shit like that that you'll never think about as the listener, that you'll never think about as the listener, that requires, it's a great gig, and I love it, but it does require effort. Writing is rewriting, and rewriting takes a lot of fucking work. So, <laughs> these things, however, I just come out, I talk, I prep a little, I have my little thing, I come out. I'm doing singing exercise anyway, so it's the same singing practice, except this time I share it with you, and then I feel really bad about my flat, 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 voice. Which is getting better. <clears throat> so come on out. It's my sales pitch. Also, buy my fucking book. Daddy's Girl, available now. Three, over three and a half, like three and a half hours? Three and a half hours of DDLG content that you've never heard before. Getting rave reviews. Please let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes? Okay. Uh, I, 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 uh... I haven't made a sales pitch in a while. 
especially in the middle of a live show. The reason why I'm doing it now, attendance is faltering. Like it was going up and up and up and it's kind of plateauing. And so this is me uh this is me saying, "Come on out." So at the plateau. So come on out. That's the first thing. Second thing, second reason why I'm selling myself is I have gotten to the point, I've talked about this uh, a little bit on Patreon, I've talked about this a little bit on the server, I've gotten to the point where I'm about to say open for business. Me and Ali have actively and on my orders not been seeking out new markets, new new girls, uh, new models, we've not been trying to monetize because I was sick, and after I was sick, after I started getting better, I still thought mentally my emotional state, I don't want to be around me sometimes. So I don't want anybody who pays me to be around that either. As, as long as I keep getting uh, irritable and ornery, as long as I keep getting frustrated at little shit when I know that it doesn't matter, as long as I'm in that mindset, I don't want to start this. Because if you start this at that mindset, where's it going to end? If you start this while you're sick and you just have to take a shortcut here or there, where's that going to end? That's my mindset always. I'm always looking too far ahead. It's a, it's a real... It's a real, real fucking weakness on me, I swear. Um, but the, the way that I have this written down in my notepad for the show is awesome. Awesome self. And that's, I guess, I couldn't come up with a better title or a better way to name this. So that's exactly what I'm going to say. Before we get into uh, the request today, this is my awesome self. Why do I think this is my awesome self? Why do I think, especially the last two weeks, uh, that I have been a version of myself that I think is worthy of putting up for sale for the first time in my life? I've done a lot of gigs. You have to make money to survive. And I've done a lot of radio. And I've done a lot of things. But almost all of those gigs, almost all of those routines were just working to make somebody else rich because of my low self-esteem. And I just wanted to do what I could and get home and and not sleep. That's what that that's what my life was for large, angry, lonely portions of it. Get through it to survive to not sleep. So you can do it again. And 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 it's the only way I knew. So I did it. Uh and so I never sold myself. And if you've been a fan of this, you've likely noticed it's very confusing. Boy, he really doesn't link to the money portion. He really doesn't link. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't sell himself. Sometimes he doesn't even tweet it out. He doesn't do the social media thing. He doesn't do it. And it's all been by choice. And I've had to rein Allie in uh, to my chagrin now that I've seen her unleashed because she's amazing. Because I wasn't ready. Because I was sick and I wasn't ready. And a part of me Still has no idea if he's ready. But if I'm going to talk to myself like I talk to anybody else, and I do, for a portion of every day, try and talk to myself like I talk to everybody else. Try to really, really just talk to myself like anyone else. Because when I do, I solve my problems real quick. When I can give myself the same advice I can give other people, shit gets done real expeditiously. So I'm trying to have that conversation with myself every day. And when I talk to myself and I say, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if it's earned yet. The other part of me these days, instead of agreeing, now asks me questions. 
What would you think about anybody who's gone through as many transformations as you have in the last few years? What would you think about anybody who's putting up the effort that you're doing? What would you think about anybody who's putting themselves through all of the things that they're trying to do with no immediate guarantee of reward? How would you view that person? What would your instincts tell you to think of them? And the answer is I think they were fucking awesome. If it wasn't me, I'd think that they were fucking awesome. If I, if I could detach my ego from what I have done in 2019, everything is better now than it was at the beginning of this year. As the Grey Knight, as Jack, and in between. The Patreon pieces are coming out more regularly. They're better. They're cleaner. The project is humming right along. We're not missing any podcast dates. If we are, it's just because of the standard podcast shit, not because of personal shit. I don't know how many of you guys listen to podcasts that have more than 100 episodes. Almost all of them have a podcast that begins with, Hey, guys, uh, we don't know what happened. Uh, this one sounds terrible. Uh, we don't have, <laughs> we're going to put it up. We don't know what we're... That's just how it works. I feel good. I feel ready. I feel stronger. I'm attaching myself to more and more stuff. I'm attaching myself to even more and more stuff behind the scenes. Daddy's Girl feels fantastic. It feels like the best big project I ever did. I didn't sweat myself. There was a whole lot of fucking issues with it, and it got up a month later than I wanted it to. A little bit later than that. And even with that, no sweat. No worries. Keep on rolling. YouTube takes me down, chair breaks right before a marathon, all kinds of things that would set me off. And don't. Not at all. Just getting through it. Just doing it. Because that's what needs to be done. So for the first time in my life, this is me saying, come out to the live shows. Please, I'm begging you guys. Please, I'm begging you guys. If you like the content, reblog it. Retweet it. Please, when you like the episodes, do it. It brings in so many fans. You say, nobody cares about me or I don't have any followers. I'm begging you from the bottom of my heart. I'm tired of living here. And you can help me not live here by retweeting and reblogging the content that you like and telling friends. For real. We're at that point. For real. It's there. For real. It's right there. You want me out of here. You want the next level of recording. This is me saying. I'm ready for it, too, for the first time. In the exact same way that this project got a lot better at the end of 2017, at the beginning of 2018, I want this project to get a lot better in 2020. I'm ready for it. This is my pitch. Join Patreon. Come out to the live shows. Tip me when you can. If you don't have any money, if you can't pay me, that's cool. Pay me in fucking reblogs. Pay me in social media mentions. Everybody else who's doing what I do either has a billion times better fans than me, which I don't believe, or robots that click the like button a million times as soon as they post their tweets. One of the two. And I'm not willing to buy the robots, so I'm begging my fans who really think that they're proud of me, who really think that I'm bringing it. This is how you can show me. This is how we can get to this next stage. We're right there. We're right fucking there. Me and Allie have a plan for the rest of the year to knock this shit out, to get it up, to get it packaged, to get it out there. And I'm excited and I'm ready for it.
Do you hear it? Do you believe me? Do you think it too? Then join me. Because if you're listening to one of these, you're a huge fan of mine. So I'm ready. I'm ready for you to become a patron, and I'm going to standardize that. Maybe not October. Shooting for it, definitely by November. The tip shows and all that have been rolling out like fucking clockwork all year. We're going to keep that mulling along. I do need just a little bit more money. Not one lump sum, however nice that is, but a little bit per month. And I need a little bit more what's called social proof. And maybe nobody follows you on Twitter, but everybody who looks at my tweets looks at how many people hit the like button and the retweet button. They all do that. So from begging you, for the last time after four fucking years, do this one thing and help me out. Please don't just tell me no. And when you like the content I make and I put on social media, because I don't put the majority of my content on social media, push the fucking buttons. Hit the fucking heart button. Hit the fucking retweet and reblog buttons. Please fucking do it. It's going to get me out of this crap shack. It's going to get me two to three times as many recording hours a week. Let's fucking go. Yes? All right. That is my sales pitch. I feel awesome. This is my awesome self. I'm going to be furthering it for the rest of the year. There's going to be a lot more pictures of me on social media. There's going to be a lot more attention coming in. I want you to be a part of it. And if not, hey guys, I look at who fucking retweets and reblogs and hearts me. And if you're not one of them and you start DMing me, I'm going to just say, hey, thanks. Why didn't you ever help me out if you thought that? Hey, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Why didn't you ever help me in the one way that I asked of you? You think I'm the greatest ever? That's so fantastic. I'm so honored. Why didn't you ever hit the like button once and save my fucking YouTube? I'm not mad at you, but you let my YouTube die. Please don't let my tip shows die. Please don't let my podcast die. Because you did let my YouTube die. Sorry, just telling you how it is. Because I didn't end every YouTube with, Oh, oh, like and comment and, oh, here's another YouTuber. You guys just let that fucking thing die. To the point where I just couldn't even bother with it anymore. So when they canceled it, I was happy to let it go. But I'm not happy to let this go. You hear it? Do you hear the fire in my fucking belly? Uncaffeinated, unstoned, unintoxicated in any way? Do you hear the singing practice I've been doing? Do you hear what I'm doing with my voice? Do you hear how hard I'm trying? This is my sales pitch. I haven't done one in a while. So I wrote it down. If you really think I'm doing awesome, you have to show me too. Because if you don't, I'm just telling you, this is the truth. This is where we're at now. I love you guys. I do. But I'm at the point now, listen to me, where I'm looking for attention. And I haven't been. So if I do not get that attention from existing fans, what does that mean I have to do? You tell me, because we've got a couple of months left to figure out this whole, I don't like tip shows getting lower. Tip shows need to go up, baby. You need to tip me more because you're getting a better show for more ladies. So bring them in. Asses and seats, yes? I wonder how many people have actually listened to this whole fucking thing. <laughs> Probably not enough. Probably a lot of 15-second forwarding. But for all of you who did, for all of you who really believe, Thank you, thank you, thank you. For all of you who have supported me this far, 
Thank you. For everybody who's gotten me to the point that I now know what I want to do more than anything and what's more fun about this than anything, thank you. For all of you who know that coming out to the tip shows and putting stuff on social media and telling friends is what got me to the point that I can do everything I'm doing the show, I appreciate you more than I can say. And yet, I am going to dom you a little bit, so I'm going to ask for even more. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Let's begin the poetry. Drawn by a scent, like a bean to a flower, probing amidst pink open petals, I sip the nectar. A taste of honey. And that leads us off into a more standard poem. <clears throat> Twelve o'clock. Along the reaches of the street held in the lunar synthesis, whispering lunar incantations dissolve the floors of memory and all its clear relations, its divisions and precisions. Every street lamp that I pass beats like a fatalistic drum, and though the spaces of the dark midnight shakes the memory as a madman, shakes a geranium. Half past one, the street lamp spluttered, street lamp muttered, street lamp said, regard that woman who hesitates towards you in the light of the door which opens on her like a grin. You see the border of her dress is torn and stained with sand. You see the corner of her eye twists like a crooked pin. The memory throws up high and dry a crowd of twisted things, a twisted branch upon the breach, eaten smooth and polished, as if the world gave up the secret of its skeleton, stiff and white, a broken spring in a factory yard, rust that clings to the form that the strength has left, hard and curled and ready to snap. Half past two, the street lamp said. Remark the cat which flattens itself in the gutter, slips out its tongue and devours a morsel of rancid butter. So the hand of the child automatic slipped out of the pocketed toy that was running along the quay. I could see nothing behind the child's eyes. I had seen eyes in the street trying to peer through the lighted shutters, and a crab one afternoon in a pool, an old crab with barnacles on his back, gripped the end of the stick which I held him. Half past three, the lamp sputtered, the lamp muttered in the dark, the lamp hummed. Regard the moon, la lune, the god, a kun, a kun. She winks a feeble eye, she smiles into corners, she smooths the hair of the grass. The moon has lost her memory, washed out smallpox, cracks her face. Her hand twists a paper rose that smells of dust and eau de cologne. She is alone, with all the old nocturnal smells that cross the cross across her brain. The reminiscence comes of sunless dry geraniums, of dust in crevices, smells of chestnuts in the streets, and female smells in shuttered rooms, and cigarettes in corridors, and cocktail smells in bars. The lap 
said, Four o'clock. Here's the number on the door. Memory. You have the key. The little lamp spreads a ring on the stair. Mount. The bed is open. The toothbrush hangs on the wall. You put your shoes at the door. Sleep. Prepare for life. The last twist of the knife. Rhapsody on a Windy Night. T.S. Eliot. <clears throat> she lay serene in the afterglow, the sweat of passion spent, vaporized, and no more. Her hair tousled frames of peaceful face, the red glow of cheeks still viable. Her eyes resting, her mouth open slightly, her full lips still moist, her pale skin smooth, no hint remains of what passed, the contortions of orgasm, which were etched into her innocent face, linger no more but shall again soon. She lies beneath a silken sheet, stretched more tightly across her breasts, showing them in sharp relief. The cool air from the open window arouses her nipples, which stand proud through the silk. She murmurs in her sleep and squirms in unison as her arousal continues elsewhere. If her lover does not return, her satisfaction will be in her own hand. In the Afterglow, Author Unknown <clears throat> Two great eyes will slay me suddenly. Their beauty shakes me one as once serene. Straight through my heart the wound is quick and keen. Only your word will heal the injury. To hurt my heart while yet the wound is clean, Your two eyes will slay me suddenly. Their too beautiful shakes me, who was once serene, Upon my word, I tell you, faithfully. Through the life after death you are my queen, For with my death the whole truth shall be seen. Their beauty shakes me one, who once serene, Straight through my heart the wound is quick and keen. Rondel of Merciless Beauty by Geoffrey Chaucer. What an interesting, interesting correlation that that got picked tonight when I talked about a night story, because, of course, that is uh, related to Paul Bettany in Night Story, and he has one of my favorite lines in that movie where he says to the bully that I have been naked for a day, but I shall make you a turn naked for all eternity. Yes. Back when I was a young aspiring writer, I thought that was so clever, and now I know it's so petty. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna be somebody who wants to to make somebody embarrassed for all eternity, uh, you need to become a painter. Paint paint them real ugly. That's what works. Don't write them real ugly. Everyone forgets. Paint them real ugly. People remember that. <clears throat> At last. When all the summer shine that warmed life's early hours past, your loving fingers seek for mine and hold them close at last, at last. 
Not oft the robin comes to build its nest upon the leafless bough, by autumn robbed, by winter chilled. But you, dear heart, you love me now. Though there are shadows on my brow and furrows on my cheek, in truth, the marks where time's remorseless plough broke up the blooming sward of youth. Though fled in every girlish grace might win or hold a lover's vow, despite my sad and faded face, the darkened heart, you love me now. I count no more wasted tears, they left no echo of their fall. I mourn no more my lonesome years, this blessed hour atones for all. I fear not all that time or fate may bring to burden heart or brow, strong in the love that came so late. Our souls shall keep it always now. At last. Elizabeth Akers Allen. This is our final poem, and let me sew it right on up. Everyone's having a good time. <clears throat> May all beings, seen and unseen, be well, happy, peaceful, including ourselves. May there be peace in the world, peace in our hearts, peace in our minds. May we use this wonderful opportunity of human life to awaken. May we be graceful for wisdom and compassion. This infinite boundlessness that surrounds us all, waiting to be used by us to open our hearts and minds so that we may see things as they truly are, how brief our lives, how dependent upon others we are, and so with each act we may bring wholesome humility and the courage to do no harm, not least at all, to ourselves. As we journey through this life, we may move deeper into insight and see things as though they truly are, this wonderful opportunity to awaken. May we be grateful for the teachers and all their guises who appear before us. May we love those who are hardest to love, including ourselves. May leaders who will work for the peace of the planet step forward, and may we support them. May those who have gone before us rest in peace, rest in comfort, rest in joy, and may we remember to remember them. May the next life be a happy one. May we cultivate in our hearts, in our minds, here and now, here on earth, generosity, a land of plenty for all. May our wish for peace spread like a mother's soothing hand and reach for the distressed, fevered places of the world and protect each child the right to be fed, to be sheltered, to be schooled, the right to go without sleep or fear. May we journey safely, work contentedly, and return home to our loved ones well and happy. May the path of forgiveness and acceptance be the path of peace. May we find it. May we use this wonderful opportunity to awaken, and together find true happiness, often spaciousness, without border.
this wonderful opportunity. Kathy Saul. <clears throat> well, we decided to switch a segment out, and it looks like it's already a popular one. We did poetry, and then we did prose, and then we did the smut. This is poetry. That's poetry done. And we're going to move right on into love letters. We've got a number of love letters tonight. This is our first week taking love letter submissions. So, thank you guys, everybody who did go ahead and submit one. Let's read some love letters. <clears throat> Husband, I know about the hoof prints crushed into your spine. Trampled by the low lights, the stillness stampede. You have thrown yourself beneath them again and again. No more. I'm coming to release you from the mud. I'm coming to bring you into our home. The flowers you pick for me are shouting on the nightstand. I will walk through the orchard, linked, bubbling like two cans of sweet champagne. We will catch bullfrogs by the curving stream, set them loose in the local high school. I know you think love has been toying with you, waiting for you to swallow the kitchen knives. It hasn't. It wishes only that you would crave a dock into your sternum, a tide that will deliver me. Husband, I'm coming. My skin's so soft you will wish you were mist, or spray-on deodorant, or a loofah. My shoulders you will mistake for pianos, my backbone a stack of chandeliers, your tongue, your ready torch, ignites me. Your monsters will all ask their parents to check under the bed for me. Your ghosts will tell each other me stories around the campfire. I am your worst nightmare's worst nightmare. Husband, I am coming. With my graphic novel addicts, infallible Springsteen lyric retention, Mel Brooks soundtrack, and fart routines, and slick Yiddish. We will laugh and make love. We will laugh and make love. You will eat cupcakes out of my palms. I know that I wear super cute glasses. Know that I play the banjo. Know that I make pumpkin pancakes while dancing in my underwear every single morning. Does that sound about right? Because here you are, in the same room, different year, similar pajama pants, building me again. I don't know what to say to you. Husband, go the fuck outside. Catch up on your life. I am out there somewhere. This dark room is the only place you will never find me. I will not come craving a project. I will not wish to learn you slowly, see a concert, dance through the music, ride your face. O oh, baffled king, O oh, donkey of sorrow, you must not confuse me for the eighth-grade girls who were too young to dismiss you carefully. You must wrench yourself free from that flypaper, the sticky murder of memory. When I come, it will not be from the pages of a comic book. When I come, I will come with complications, acres of bright hurt, some days 
a bucket of scorpions. I will wish to make your body feel beautiful with my body. Let me. I will challenge you to write a different kind of poem. Let me. I will forgive you. Let me. In the meantime, leave your father's house and live someplace you must wash the dishes by hand. Get a job you hate and take pride in making a stranger's life easier. Learn how to ride a goddamn bicycle. Memorize the names of flowers, fish, constellations, and people. Travel. Kiss someone without thinking of the future. When you kiss her, put your whole patience behind it. When you kiss her, forget I was even. And now, a word from my future wife, by Jeremy Radden. <clears throat> How can I explain to you my happiness, my golden, wonderful happiness? How much I am all yours with all my memories, poems, outbursts, inner whirlwinds. Or explain that I cannot write a word without hearing how you will pronounce it and can't recall a single trifle I have lived through without regret. So sharp. That we haven't lived through it together, whether it's the most, most personal, intransmissible, or if only some sunset or other at the bend of a road. You see what I mean? my happiness. And I know, I can't tell you anything in words, and when I do on the phone, then it comes out completely wrong, because I'm with, because with you, one needs to talk wonderfully. The way we talk with people long gone, do you know what I mean? In terms of purity and lightness and spiritual precision? Yet you can be bruised by an ugly diminutive because you are so absolutely resonant, like seawater, my lovely. I swear at the ink blot has nothing to do with it. I swear by all that's dear to me, all I believe in, I swear that I have never loved before as I love you. With such tenderness, to the point of tears, and with such a sense of radiance. On this page, my love, I once began to write a poem for you, and this very inconvenient little tale got left. I've lost my footing, but there's no other paper. And most of all, I want you to be happy, and it seems to me that I could give you that happiness, a sunny, simple happiness, and not an altogether common one. And you should forgive me for my pettiness that I am thinking with aversion about how, practically, I will mail this letter tomorrow, and yet I am ready to give you all of my blood, if I had to. It's hard to explain. It sounds flat, but that is how it is. Here, I'll tell you, with my love I could have filled ten centuries of fire, songs and valor, ten whole centuries, enormous and winged, full of knights riding up blazing hills, and legends about giants, and fierce troys, and orned sails, and pirates, and poets. And this is not literature, 
since you reread carefully, you will see that the knights have turned out to be fat. No, I simply want to tell you somehow I can't imagine life without you, in spite of you thinking that it is fun for me not to see you for two days. And you know, it turns out that it wasn't Edison at all who thought up the telephone, but some other American, a quiet little man whose name no one remembers. It serves him right. Listen. My happiness, you won't say again that I'm torturing you? How I like to take you off somewhere with me? You know how those highwaymen of old did. A wide-brimmed hat, a black mask, a bell-shaped musket. I love you. I want you. I need you unbearably. Your eyes, which shine on so wonder, struck when your heart thrown back. You tell something funny. Your eyes, your voice, lips, your shoulders, so light and sunny. You came into my life, not as one comes in to visit, you know, not taking one's hat off. But as one comes to a kingdom where all the rivers have been waiting for your reflection, all the roads for your steps, fate wanted to correct its mistake. As if it had asked my forgiveness for all the previous indiscretions, so how can I leave you? My fate wanted to correct its mistake as if it had asked for everything. My fairy tale, my son... You see, if I loved you less, then I would have had nowhere to go. But this way, it makes no sense. And I don't want to die, either. There are two kinds of come what may, involuntary and deliberate. Forgive me, but I live by the second one, and you can't take me away my faith in what I'm afraid to think about. It would have been such happiness. All of this I'm writing, lying in bed, resting the page on a huge book. When I work long into the night, the eyes of one of the portraits on the wall, some great-grandmother of our landlord, become intent and very unpleasant. So good to have reached the end of this little tale, such a nuisance. My love, good night. I don't know whether you'll be able to make sense of this illiterate letter, but never mind. I love you. Vladimir Nabokov to Vera <clears throat> I was surprised to receive your letter yesterday. I did not expect it. But I see that one may expect anything from you. I begin by assuring you of my prudence. I do not find anything disobliging in your recommendation of this. No one shall know anything of our correspondence, and I will follow exactly all that you prescribe. I have begun already by hiding my grief and care from the President, and, except from Madame de Lausanne, the home to whom I was forced to mention you, I have not breathed your name to a soul. With anyone save yourself, such a declaration would be repugnant to me, but you are the best of men, and you have such good intentions, and none of your words and actions can possibly be suspect. If you had admired a little sooner what you had felt for me, I should have been calmer 
and in consequence more reserved. The desire of acquisition and of the retaining of acquisition gives one an activity that touches, doubtless, imprudence. There is my story as regards yourself. And to this explanation, my age, my wish not to appear crazy, and ask yourself if you are not secure from any ridicule that I may bring you. This being understood, and no one overhearing us, allow me to become completely at my ease and tell you that it's not possible to love me tenderly, more tenderly, than I love you. I believe that we are all, sooner or later, rewarded according to our merits, and the tenderness and sincerity of my heart have at least been satisfied at the end of my life. Because of the happiness that I desire from you, I will not wear you with my thoughts, but only say that my pleasure is touched with sadness, for I know that you are likely to be long absent from me. I do not wish to make this letter into an elegy. However, Therefore, only beg you to keep your promise to write to me with the greatest freedom, and to remember that I belong more to you than I do to myself. For my part, I shall never render an account of all that happens to me and chit-chat with you as easily as if we were together again in the chimney corner. I do not ask you to write often. St. Augustine declared, Love me! and do as you please. And that is one of his best sayings. Remember that you are my guardian, my tutor, and do not neglect my education. I shall always be very submissive, but above all, teach me what I can do to hasten and facilitate your return. Madame du Deform to Horace Walpole. My goodness. That old lady was eager for some fucking English dick. My goodness. She was ready for it, huh? <clears throat> this is going to be the last love letter for the evening. My sweet girl. Your letter gave me more delight than anything in the world but you yourself can do. Indeed, I am almost astonished that my, any absent one should have that luxurious power over my senses, which I feel. Even when I'm not thinking of you, I receive your influence as a tenderer nature stealing upon me. All my thoughts, my unhappiest days and nights, have I found not at all cured me of my love for beauty, but made it so intense that I am miserable that you are not with me, or rather breathe into a dull sort of patience that cannot be called life. I never knew before what such a love as you have made me feel was. I do not believe in it. My fancy was afraid of it, lest it should burn me up. But if you well fully love me, though there may be some fire, twill not be more than we can bear when moistened and bedewed with pleasures. 
You mentioned horrid people, and asked me whether it depends upon them whether I see you again. Do understand me, my love, in this. I have so much of you in my heart that I must turn mentor when I see a chance of harm befalling you. I would never see anything but pleasure in your eyes, love on your lips, and happiness in your steps. I would wish to see you among those amusements suitable to your inclinations and spirits, so that our loves might be a delight in the midst of pleasures agreeing enough rather than a resource for vexations and cares. But I doubt much, in case of the worst, whether I shall be philosopher enough to follow my own lessons. If I saw my resolution give you a pain I could not, which may not speak of your beauty, since without that I could never have loved you. I cannot conceive any beginning of such love as I have for you but beauty. There may be a sort of love for which, without the least sneer at it, I have the highest respect and can admire it in others. But it has not the richness, the bloom, the full form, the enchantment for love after my own heart. So, let me speak of your beauty. You say you are afraid I shall take you do not love me. In saying this, you make me ache the more to be near you. I am the diligent use of my faculties here. I do not pass a day without spawning some blank verse or tagging some rhymes. And here I must confess that, since I am on the subject, I love you more in that I believe you have liked me for my own sake, and for nothing else I have met women whom I really think would like to be married to a poem, to be given away in a novel. I kissed your writings over in the hope you had indulged me by leaving a trace of honey. What was your dream? Tell me it and I will tell you the interpretation thereof. Do not accuse me of delay. We have not had any opportunity of sending letters every day. Please, write speedily. Ever yours, my love, John Keats. Letter from John Keats, I don't know to who. So, Thank you, everybody. One more link for the tips, please. As I said earlier, your tips keep everything going, going, going right along, right along. Thank you for it. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to bring it down. It's time for the sexy time. It's time to get right on into it. Hope you're ready and hope you're feeling for it. Just as we do, I did want to go ahead and talk about my awesome self very quickly. Again, we're going to keep it low and easy for the rest of the stream. I feel very good physically. I feel very sexy. And I've spent a lot of the first two weeks of this month stroking my body. Not my cog, my body. 
my chest, my pecs, my shoulders. After I do my stretches, my kitty routine, after I let her out of kitty prison, she runs out onto a carpet, onto a specific spot, and flips over on her side, asking for lovin'. I get down on all hands and knees and do my stretches and pet the kitty as I do. It's been our morning routine for a long time now. Well, lately, these stretches have made me feel sexy, and I've talked about that previously. But even now, as I get up and down off the ground, as I move my body, I feel powerful. I feel sexy. It feels so good. And it keeps improving. So, just know that if you think, this guy really does think he's that sexy these days, or this guy's really that full of himself, or this guy's really full of that level of hubris, the answer is, yes, I am. I also think that I am the best guy that you could spend time with if you were looking for a good time. Maybe that you've ever met, but certainly at the moment. So yes, I do in fact actually feel that sexy. Totally unironically, and no joke coming. And I thought you might like to hear that before I get started with the fun parts of this evening. So, let's read a little smut. <clears throat> I received a message from the boss. I have a gift for you. It's on the coffee table in the living room. I'll be back soon, Angel. Signed, B. I glance over at the box. I've just got back from a particularly stressful day at work. Today's schedule has been crammed, and the phone hasn't stopped its shrill ringing. I was mean. I was meant to stay late to go over tomorrow's inventory, but the boss sent me home at checking out time, urging me to nurse my blistering headache at his place with a glass of wine before he finished up himself. No one in the office knows we are together. The boss and I keep our relationship strictly professional when our colleagues are around. That's not to say we haven't had our secret liaisons after work under the guise of pulling late to double-check figures, when really, he's bending me over his desk and having me beg for his conk. But being his PA, no one suspects. And if they do, no one says. Running my fingers over the off-white mott box, I stroke the violet satin ribbon tied in a perfect bow. It will be a shame to ruin such a display, but the eagerness to find out what's inside gets the better of my aesthetic appreciation. I slowly tug the bow undone, watching it unravel, and the rest on the coffee table, the mott lid slides off seamlessly, revealing an array of neatly folded tissue paper. The intricate emblem of the thistle, decorated with roses, sends an excited leap through my stomach. I take special care unfolding the barely there paper, and my eyes widen as I gaze upon my gift. I gasp. Nestled inside is a set of obscenely expensive lingerie, a bra, panties, and garter belt made with the finest satin and lace and a vibrant rhubarb and a custard mix with a pair of fine, flesh-colored stockings to match. A bright smile spreads across my cheeks. The boss caught me admiring this piece in a boutique window 
a few weeks ago, wishing I could go in and buy it. We didn't have to look at the price tag to know it probably cost more than my rent, and I've been saving my spare change ever since. I should have known by the mischievous glint in the boss's eye as I left work that something was in store for me when I got back. I traced my fingertips over the butterfly fabric, feeling almost unworthy to even be near it. It's so grand, much finer than any undergarment I've ever owned. It's truly beautiful. Tucked under one of the bra cups is a textured, ivory-colored card embossed in silver French calligraphy. The card reads, For my special lady, who deserves to be spoiled, all my love. Placing the box back on the table, I sift through my bag to get to my phone, my fingers tapping along the screen as I type out a message. Just opened your gift. Thank you so much. You're so sweet to me. It doesn't take long for my phone to buzz. How do you like it? Since you've had a stressful day, I want you to do something for me. My brow furrows as I type back quickly. What's that? I want you to put it on. Enjoy it. You deserve it. Pleasure yourself for me. Use the glass toy until I come back to see you for myself. I'll be there. Twenty minutes. I stare at the text in silence. It doesn't take long for me to skip to the bedroom, tear off my shirt and pencil skirt, and feel the luxurious lace and satin all over my skin. The boss's ever-efficient way, he gets the size just right. The set fits my body like a decadent second skin. I admire my reflection in the mere door of my wardrobe, feeling the luxurious fabric over my tanned complexion, cupping my hands over the thick padded bra, pushing my breasts into a soft swell. He'll love this, I think. Wriggling my hips, feeling the smooth thong brushing between my thighs. I've never felt more desirable. Kneeling down on the carpet, I open the bottom of his chest of drawers where our growing collection of naughty toys are kept. Amongst the leather paddles and the silicon butt plug, I absolutely adore... I retrieve a glass dildo, snug in its emerald satin bag. This is the boss's personal favorite. He loves using it on me. Teasing and twisting the cold, lubricated glass inside me while he delicately licks my clit with the tip of his tongue. Keeping me on the edge until he tells me to come for him, instinctively my thighs pressed together at the memory. My climax had shuddered through me, leaving my sex languid and the soles of my feet tingling with electricity as he growled, good girl, in my ear. The cushioned armchairs where many of my memories with my boss have been made, all sensual and sordid in equal measure. As I relax back against the heavy curtains, I feel the familiar warmth of the intimate moments with my boss permeate through my limbs. I take a deep cleansing breath, thankful for the silence after a day of constant chatter where I could barely hear myself think. 
I start by tracing my fingers over my breasts from the molded bra with the sensitive skin meets the lining. I love how it pushes them up, making them look even fuller and rounder. Tucking under the cup, I stroke over my nipples, encircling the soft flesh, and hum until the puckers hard with my touch. With a free hand, I stroke the custard satin of my knickers. Between, the, between my legs is tense, very tense. My clit is aching, and for a release I smile to myself. The boss is right. He knows that pleasure, by his wonderful hand or my own, will make me feel better after a long, hard day. Sparks dance from my sex down to my toes, warmth starting to ripple at the bottom of my belly. I glance at, his I glance at the clock. It's 5.30 p.m. The boss will be here soon, and honestly, I can't wait for him to get back. I wet my fingers in my mouth, swirling them around each nipple until they're rock-hard and hypersensitive, imagining it's the boss's tongue flicking back and forth. The soft satin knickers trace lightly over my pussy, over and over again. I go, pinching and massaging indulging in the self-love I desperately need. It's not long before I have to stand, sliding the beautiful panties to my ankles. I finger the space between the suspender at the pretty ribbon adornments. The boss wants me to enjoy his new gift in all its splendor, and that's exactly what I intend to do. Taking the stockings laid across the armchair, I carefully work the garments up, my thighs, securing them in their pink garters. They feel wonderful under my fingers, so silky and luxurious. The glass dildo rests serenely on the table to my side, patiently waiting to be used. I unearth the ribbons of that emerald bag, allowing the toy to smoothly slip into my Hand. I notice just how cold it is, feeling the solid ridges against my palm. I think back to the many times my boss has used this on me, drinking in the sight of me twitching under his touch. Many a night he's watched me come for him, massaging his bulbous head against my G-spot until I'm begging for more. It's warm. I warm its cold ridges in my hands, sucking the tip into my mouth. I moan at the glass against my tongue, swirling the tip against my lips. As much as I enjoy this wonderful toy in my mouth, over my skin where the boss teases with me on my nipples, I eagerly wait for the boss to come home, wishing it was his cock instead. I take the dildo deeper into my mouth, vibrant colors bustle under my eyelid, trailing it down my breast and tummy, my clit tingles as I start to massage, running the glass in gentle circles over the plump, pink flesh. My hips buck a little by little, I ease the cock inside me, I arch at how full I feel, slowly moving it in and out. For a while I tease the toy around my lips inside me and against my clit, becoming lost in the gorgeous warmth, building in between my thighs. How I wish the boss was here, speaking in ways that make me blush while I pleasure myself. I imagine him now, working through files as I was meant to, sharing my headache that had him send me home early to do this. 
throughout today. All I wanted was to cuddle up in the safety of his arms, bury my face in his warm chest until the phone calls and demands from upper management just faded away. I saw his blue eyes searching mine concerned, yet still within the flash of pride as he watched me work through our schedule bit by bit. My thoughts flip through every intimate moment that I've shared with the boss. I think of the many days and evenings I've spent in that office alone with him, my mind eventually settling on a particularly delicious memory of us working late one night many months ago. I was so into this story before she got into five fucking paragraphs about working at an office. Just gonna say. <laughs> I was so into this story until the last six fucking paragraphs, and here we go for paragraph seven. It's the end of the day, I sort through the last of the files, ready to put on his desk when I hear the door close behind me. My spine tingles as I feel the air between me and the figure growing thicker as he draws closer. An arm snakes around my waist, pulling me smack against a solid torso and the tantalizing scent of pine. Hello, stranger. The boss whispers, planting a kiss from below my ear. Everyone's gone home from the day, you know. We're all alone. Lower the boss's hands prowl over my pencil skirt and squeezing my buttocks. I gasp, but not before he cups my chin, calming my mouth with hungry kisses. When he finally pulls away, I'm panting. The lines around his eyes crinkle, a salacious grin pulling at his lips. You're so cute when I take you by surprise. He chuckles. A slew of kisses run down my shoulder while he unbuttons his shirt, watching it graze off my shoulders and fall to the floor. The blinds are drawn on the windows and the door. No one can see us. He pulls my skirt over my hips. His fingers caress my stockings and the trusty garter belt I've owned for years. My skin prickles and his hand trails between my legs. Shh, he whispers. Keep quiet, Angel. We don't want the cleaners to hear us. Now do we? The mere thought of keeping quiet for him sends a wobbling jostling through my knees. Holding me against the desk, he presses a hand firmly on the small of my back. Bend over. I obey, following his guiding hand until my breast rests against the polished oak desk. The clinking of his belt unbuckled practically had me dripping between my thighs. Slowly, he rolled the tip of his cock between my slick lips. Mm. He muses. I love how wet you get for me. Hanging on to the other side of the desk, it's hard to keep my moan lodged in my throat as he slowly eases into me, as he slides fully inside me. My moan escapes. It's louder than I thought, and the boss quickly clasps his palm over my mouth. Shh! Shh! We have to be quiet. A low chuckle rumbles at my ear as I hum against his lips. You like it when I cover your mouth, don't you, angel? He thrusts deeply, inhaling sharp through my nose, I nod. A gentle kiss is placed on the back of my neck, one of the most sensitive sweet spots. While he holds me up in his arms, snakes solid 
against my stomach. I'm not going to make this easy for you. The boss growls. I take his hand in mine, moving it away from my lips a hair's breadth. I glance over my shoulder at our stairs lock, as our stairs lock. I don't want you to be. The boss's blue eyes light up and he flashes me a wicked grin. He's not going to make it easy for me after all, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Tucking his fingers back over my lips, I hold on for the ride as he grinds slowly. The boss knows how wild... That drives me. My chest rises and falls, tiny strained moans muffled by the strong hands around my mouth. His free hand prowls up my breast, tugging down my bra, tweaking my nipples between his fingers as he growls the filthiest, most delicious words in my ear. Yeah? He grunts, moving faster until his hips slam against mine, my breast bouncing against his palm. You like it when I do that, Angel? All I can do is nod, stifling groans in my hand as they grow louder. You want more? He pinches harder. I nod again frantically. Everything he wants to give me, I want to take. The mixture of pain and pleasure tingles through me from head to toe. His fingers trail down in between my legs, working my clit until neither of us can take any more. The boss stifles primal delicious shouts in my neck, biting my shoulder as he stiffens against me. I shudder in his embrace, electric warmth surging through my legs. I barely notice as he picks me up in his arms, nestling me in his lap as he settles me down on the couch. I snuggy into his chest, feeling his small and protected in his big arms. The boss strokes my hair, tilting my chin up as we share feather-like kisses in our haze. My back arches off the chair, satin-clad chest, panting as I pump my toy faster into my pussy. My climax is a luscious crescendo pulsing through me until I'm nothing but a quivering mess. My hand flops back against the chair, feeling ever so slither, the day's tension trickle out of me, pooling into the harness wood floor below. It's then when I hear the familiar click of the lock. My heart leaps. I can barely straighten before the boss is inside, suitcase in hand, with his eyes firmly on me. An embarrassed flush bubbles up my neck into my cheeks. I see you did what you were told, Angel. The boss muses, placing the suitcase on the kitchen counter and loosening his tie. A mischievous little smile pulls at my cheeks. Of course. He takes a decanter of whiskey from the kitchen cupboard and pours himself a glass. My eyes can't help but wonder over his handsome, chiseled face, those beautiful fine lines around his eyes that are deeper after a long day. He'll be glad to relax in his favorite chair, nursing a scotch. The boss is a hard-working man, often neglecting his own wants to see the job is done. I enjoy relieving him in any way I can, whether it's sitting together and enjoying the silence of solitude or having him sit while I take his cock in my mouth, riding him slowly to a much-needed release. I take it you like your gift. He strides over, downing his drink in one gulp with a boyish skin. I love it, I say. Thank you. 
I sit up, placing a small peck on his lips when he cups my face in his hands, deepening the kiss. A soft moan hums in his throat. He runs his tongue along mine, beckoning me to let him in. I open my mouth, basking in the sparks, lying thick in the air between us as our tongues dance, searching the other, as if it's the first time we've kissed. Suddenly, the boss pulls away. Wait, what are... Shh, he whispers, trailing a feather-light kiss along my jaw, glass toys still in my hands. He hoists me up in his arms, throwing me over his shoulder. I shriek, giggling as I feel a sharp swat on my behind. What are you doing? I ask. Though I can't see him, I can almost feel the smile spreading across his cheeks. He's heading for the bedroom. I have one more surprise for you. Gently, the boss lowers me down to the bed. You do so much for me, Angel. I want to treat you. Will you let me do that? I stare up into his cold blue eyes, taking the glass from my hands. His eyes don't leave mine as he reaches to draw up the bedside table, grabbing our favorite bottle of lube. The boss squirts out a liberal amount, smoothing it over the toy and settling himself on the bed, hovering over me. I can't contain the excited smile on my face. I love when he uses it on himself. Are you ready? He asks. I giggle. Gently, he rubs the lubed cock over my clint. We share soft kisses, taking our time before he slides the cock inside me, twisting it as he slowly works it in and out. How the boss uses his personal on me is simply exquisite. After a long time experimenting, he knows exactly what to do to make me do what he loves, beg. It doesn't take long before I'm doing just that, begging him for his toys pressed against my G-spot, massaging the point where I can barely look straight. What I'm begging for? Him. Gum for me, Angel. The boss's hot breath rolls down my neck as I'm arching under him, my face contoured, consumed by the heat he so effortlessly ignites in me. That's it, he growls. Good girl. Silky Soft by Violet Gray. V-I-O-L-E-T-G-R-E-Y. Silky Soft by Violet Gray. It's the final link for tips. Tip if you haven't. Boy, would I love you to do so. Because it's our final piece for the evening. One last piece of smut to take us out. <clears throat> it's a hot and spicy Saturday in town today. Like, really hot. The kind of hot where you feel you really have no choice but to wear a skirt. And not just because it makes you feel super cute. But because you're worried your lady bits might suffocate without proper air circulation. At the same time, no matter what you do, your thighs will stick together because apparently heat like this turns sweat into a glue down there. Yeah, that's the kind of day it is. And frankly, 
I'm loving every sweaty, sticky second of it. I'm in a park in the middle of the city, lying on my stomach in the fresh-cut grass. I feel the individual blades graze and poke at the edges of my legs and forearms as I contemplate the perfection of the Dane. With his arms behind his head, my current Adonis is lying on his back in the grass, not three feet away from me. I glance over at him, the scent of whatever's tasteful masculine cologne he's in, wearing wafts gently on the breeze towards me. My eyes lazily trace the length of his outstretched figure. I can see the silhouette of his ribcage expand beyond the cotton of his plain gray t-shirt every time his lungs fill with fresh summer air. A strip of caramelized skin peeks between the contrasting edges of his light shirt and indigo dark jeans. What a babe. He catches me looking at him and grins, his pink lips glistening in the sunlight. I'm thinking of how much I just want to kiss him on the mouth right now, but I'm also still trying to figure out what's actually going on between us. Does he have a girlfriend? I'm not sure because he doesn't talk about it, and I haven't asked. Do I care? Not really. I'm not exactly looking for his love. I can see in his eyes with the glint in his sunglasses, but I imagine that he's checking me out too, as if he heard the rogue smile betraying my thoughts. He turns his face in my direction. This is perfect, he says. I say nothing but nod in agreement. He rolls over onto his side, leaning on one elbow, and stretches his other arm out towards me. Two fingers gently stroke the back of my bare leg. If I hadn't have shaved this morning, my hairs would definitely be standing up right now. I had fun the other night, he says, when I came over to your place. He adds, The explainer wasn't really necessary. I think as butterflies take flight in part of my abdomen, that is pressed into the lawn. I know exactly which night you're referring to. I had fun too. Is all I managed to muster out loud, despite the fact that we've already acted a few times on our mutual attraction. Talking to him is still difficult most of the time, because the words tend to trip over my tongue on their way out my mouth. It's especially noticeable when I'm a little nervous and a lot sober, like I am right now. I was thinking about how you looked from behind, he continued. I could feel his hand moving closer and closer to the hemline of my skirt. Oh, yeah? I'm trying to keep my cool, but I can feel the pulse pounding back from the earth beneath me. I wonder for a moment if he can feel the echoes of those many quakes in his fingertips. Yeah, your ass was perfect. He rubs the edge of my skirt between his thumb and index finger. <laughs> Thank you. I smile a little sheepishly and look back down at the grass under my hands, hearing the words are flattering, of course, but they still leave me feeling a little embarrassed at the same time. <laughs> That's funny, I say, emboldening him to open up the conversation. <laughs> because I was thinking about how much I liked having your dick in my mouth. I see his eyebrows raise beyond the top of his sunglasses. That was absolutely the right thing to say. He smiles without giving too much away. He maunders 
contemplatively. We linger there for a moment, a few touches longer. I feel a little hazy from the heat of the afternoon sun beating down on us. My whole body is pulsating in the warmth. We look back at each other, exchanging a thousand words through our mischievous smirks. I would really love to fuck you right now, he says. Shots fired, point blank. The words hit me right in the gut, wiping the last of my shyness away. I glance around at the dozens of families with small children who happen to be sharing our summer paradise with us. We should probably go somewhere else. I don't like the way you think, he says, standing up. We brush the splinters of grass from our bodies and walk with a cool sense of anticipation towards the vehicle. By now, the question is, where are we going to go? The parks are full of people because it's such a beautiful day, plus it's the middle of the afternoon, making a dark hiding space a little scarce. We can't go home because the revolving door of roommates make it hostile territory, not to mention the fact that my disturbingly creaky bed frame was obnoxious and vocal in protest. We did a little tour of the downtown core. I notice him in the middle of a futile attempt to adjust his boner while he drives. I can't help but laugh at his discomfort. Look at this. He grabs my hand and puts it on his crotch. This is what you do to me. I shamelessly stroke his package, trying to remember what he looks like with his pants off, until now we've only ever tangled in the dark. As we approach a red light, he reaches over to lift my skirt and check the status of my underwear. Oh, hello, he says cheekily. I giggle and shake my head at him. He grabs and squeezes my thigh a couple of times, the way you do when you're trying to find the perfect ripe avocado in the big bin. I'm melting. My hips try to shift forward, but my bare thighs are stuck to the leather of the car seat. I don't know when my eyes close, but I open them to find him looking at me instead of the road. His hand slips down past my panties, beyond the sweet, beyond the, beyond the sweat, to the puddle forming between my thighs. His eyes are looking at his hand through the veil of my skirt, imagining my pussy. Watch where you're going. I moan, gesturing to the moving traffic around us. He sucks his plump bottom lip in. Oh, my God. This is terrible. He says, putting his hand back on the steering wheel. His eyes widen as he flashes me a hungry smile before resuming his scan for a place to park. Oh, what's this? He says to himself, noticing an unintended parkade gate. The arm was up inviting us in as we snake our way through up to the roof of the parking complex. The sun is high and beating down through the rooftop onto my lap as he nestles his sleek black SUV into the empty corner of the rooftop lot. I think we found it. The perfect spot to hide in plain sight. He parks and looks around for the inside of the vehicle, sending out a rough game plan in his head. He turns around to evaluate the back seat. I look at him. He looks at me. This could work, he says. Casual confidence. I like how he takes charge without telling me what to do. He gets out of the car, stretches as he looks around one more time. Coast is clear. He crawls in through the back door. I wriggle into the back seat to meet him. 
We're sitting at opposite ends of the back seat now. He leans back comfortably into the corner formed by the bench into the door, and I rest his arm on the headrest. Oh, he says again, appraising me. I'm nervous again, paralyzed by shy excitement. I hesitate to move too quickly. I, I say again, a little sheepishly. I'm not sure what my hang-up is. We are clearly on the same page here. Just go for it. He tucks his hand into my pants and seems to be lightly stroking himself. Let me help you with that. I say before I let the thoughts distract me again, I move towards him, swatting his hand out the way so that I can unbutton his jeans. I can just say how much I hate maneuvering these damn button flies. Partially standing, swaddling him in the back of the SUV, I kiss him softly and slowly while I fumble with each button. I'm trying to make it seem like I'm moving in a slow and sultry way, but in reality, each button is a new, very real struggle. Finally, I release the last button. I press my lips against him with a little extra oomph because I'm actually giving myself a high five in my head. It's the little things. I slide my hand between his jeans and his underwear and stroke his crowded erection wholehandedly. I imagine that can't be very comfortable, so I pull back and tug at the edges of his belt. He understands this as a universal gesture for take your fucking pants off already and gets to it. He leans into the car door to hoist his hips up and slide his jeans down his ankles. I sit up facing him. I rub my palms up and down the length of his cock. His underwear holds and frames his package nicely, but the swollen head is trying to peek past the waistband now. I'm stalling because on one hand, I want him to grab me, accost my mouth with his, explore every inch of my body with his tongue, and trace light circles in the places that don't get much attention. But then, I remember, we're not here for a long night of passionate lovemaking in a four-post bed. This is a we're-hot, sweaty, horny, and young enough, wild and free kind of day. And I want you so bad I almost got into a car accident, so what are we waiting for kind of day. A watch this, I'm going to blow your fucking mind with my blowjob skills kind of day. I yank at his underwear and pull that past his knees too. His cock is stiff, bobbing up and down as I has a mind of his own, sniffling, sniffing around where I can subtly stirred from its slumber. I've never really found the penis to be attractive pendage, but I can't deny that I get all kinds of excited when I stand at attention for me, because of me, and if I'm being honest, this is one of the nicest dicks I've ever handled. I run my hand up his shaft over his broad chest, around the side of his torso, back down to his bare hips. I flash him a devilish grin and lean down to get a closer look of his cock in the daylight. Huh. I didn't realize until now that he wasn't circumcised. He had a neatly trimmed patch of hair to frame the base, but his balls were smooth as could be. I bury my nose in the crook of his groin and inhale him as I trace my tongue along the strained, inigral ligament. I let the tip of my tongue loll along the underside of his balls as I roll to do the same on the other side. I breathe hot and heavy over his testicles as my face glides slowly upwards. I run flat, I run the flat of my tongue up the underside of his shaft all the way to the base of his tip. He shifts and squirms exactly as my touch tells him to. Oh my God. 
he swoons, sounds like something between a confused objection and a prayer. I wrap my lips gently over the head. I press into the fleshly tip, swollen with anticipation. He moves further down the shaft until I have most of him in my mouth. I purse my lips on the downward stroke, deliberately pressing the flat of my tongue harder into a shaft along the way. He carefully gathers my hair with both hands into a makeshift ponytail so we can watch as I move his cock in and out of my mouth, slathering it with a thick coat of saliva dredged up from the back of my throat. I shift my position so that I am on all fours to invite him to get a little more handsy with me. He shoves a hand past the neckline of my shirt to grasp my breast. He fondles it clumsily, trying to get past the bra construction. Giving up, he reaches around the palm my ass. He lifts up the stage of my skirt to caress my curve from waist to inner thigh, finishing off by grabbing a handful of flesh. I swoon into a downward thrust, taking his cock even deeper. I can feel the pulse in my labia, thumping in the tight seam of my panties. My hips gyrate spontaneously and push back into his grabby hands. I take his cock in one to lift up for room for my nose as I tongue his balls. I'm reckless and messy, rubbing my spit into his own face. I revel at the sensation of unraveling myself to compel him into submission. I lick around one testicle and then take it into my mouth, sucking it before I deliberate slow release. I do the same for the other side. With one hand, I cup to sack to fill it up towards me, lick everything at once, back and forth with the flat of my tongue. Your mouth feels so good, he groans. I giggle into flesh, still filling my mouth. I know I do a good job, but a pat on the black is always appreciated. He pulls my shirt up over my head. I sit up and remove my bra. He fondles both of my breasts at the same time, pulling me in closer so that he can take a nipple into his mouth. He sucks aggressively, pressing gently around the nipple with his lips as he moves one hand underneath to grab my ass again. I love your ass. He says, I giggle again, further empowered by his praise. I lick at his neck and move my way back down. I'm not done yet. As I wrap my lips together around his girth once more, he pulls my underwear down and distractedly gropes my pussy, my ass, the length of my spine, under my breast. I feel heat and pressure swelling in my clit, gravity trying desperately to pull the blood downwards. I put on one hand my legs just to see how turned on I really am. My pussy pulsates with yearning. I coat the tip of my fingers with my wetness and rub my clit gently back and forth a few times. I'm terribly aroused, but far, far, far from orgasm to make the effort right now. I'm too consumed by consuming him. I bring the same hand back to meet his balls, massaging and tugging gently at them as I continue to swirl my head up and down the length of his shaft. I can feel him rise and press into the edges of my mouth. The skin around his testicle grows taut and begins to pull them up towards me. My massaging hand flights against this motion, gently coaxing his balls back down into my hand. He moans deepen and intensify. The hand in my hair tightens down on my grip. His other hand joins at the back of my head, full is around my bobbing motion. I feel his his pulse amplifying my mouth. I deepen my downward thrust, pressing him into the back of my throat as I bottom each lunge. My intensity of my suction increases upon each upward pull. Without slowing my repetitive slide, slick saliva oozes from the back of my throat all the way towards the length of my shaft, pooling on the seat between us. I'm still controlling the pace, but he lifts his hips and thrusts back 
and forth into my mouth. I feel the energy surge before the physical eruption. His testicles fight the tug of my fingers, and he goes quiet for a moment. Then his silence is followed swiftly by a grunt of pleasure as he releases. I keep him in my mouth, sliding slowly up and down the length before releasing the entirety. Saliva and semen mix together and pour down the sides of his shaft over his testicles into my hand. Holy fuck, he says. I sit back and watch him revel in his bliss. I trace light circles around my clit, and he struggles to remember his name and what year it is. He takes, removes both his socks to wipe up the mess we just made, rolls them together, and tosses them onto the floor. He leans back once again. Wow. That was amazing. He raises his hand, and I light up with satisfaction and clap our palms. Nothing beats the post-blowjob. High five. Up Top by Jane Renault. Jane Renault. Up Top. Great fucking title. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I'll just say it one more time. I want more people coming to the live shows. I'm going to keep trying and doing better until you come. That was my A game. Hopefully you will see it again next Saturday. 5 p.m. Eastern is when we're starting it, so Ali and Arya can get some sleepy pies if they're going to make it. Yes, you don't have to wake up too early, hopefully. 5 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. No show on Friday. I will still be doing a gaming stream that night, and I want to do phone sex as well. So don't make it complicated and don't make it hard. Somebody who's going to come to that Saturday show... Contact Allie, DM her at the end of the show. I'm a fuck you because I'm getting better at it. So I'm a fuck you in front of all these girls. One la you can DM Allie anytime to set it up. I promise she will not tell me who you are at all. Anytime. Pro trust me, she'll get back to you. Uh, she's she's very very good at it. Allie's fantastic at it. So thank you, Allie. Thank you to everybody who came out. Thank you to everybody who tipped. Thank you to everybody who listened to all of my pitching. The pitching is real. I am now at the point where money actually makes the difference, where money is actually going to affect the project. We're not pushing for it yet. Me and Ali are finishing up 2019 strong. We're crossing off some former promises. We're getting some things in order. We're getting our ducks in a row. But just so you know, it's here. It's happening. If you think tonight's performance was good, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. However, it's going to get stronger. I'm going to get better from here. There's going to be a better show. I promise. So, hold tight, a couple more months, and then Daddy will for sure hold a plan. Help me become a patron. If you can't have any money, if you don't have any money, tell a friend. And last but not least, if you're listening to this, if you've made it this far through, you're a super fan. If you ever want a review copy as a fan of The Grey Knight to review on Audible, go ahead and DM me anytime, day or night. Don't worry about it being read. Let me know that you have Audible, that you have an Audible account, that you know what Audible is, and I'll be happy to give you a code for a free download for Daddy's Girl. Daddy's Girl, 
please buy it. It's the first book that I bought that I made that I'm actually trying to sell. Please buy it. Please review it. Please tell your friends. It means a lot to me. This is the first book I've really put out that I thought, that's it. I nailed it. As soon as we got it done, as soon as me and Allie got this book put together before we started publishing it, just when we got the writing done, I started saying, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, just as soon as we went over it, because I knew that we actually got it right. I looked at it, and I said, we actually did it right. This is my fifth or sixth time trying to do one of these assholes, and this one's actually correct. And I got all excited. So, Daddy's Girl, three hours, over three hours of brand new DDLG that you've never heard before. Some of my best stuff, all recorded with my voice sounding about as good as it does now. So please, give it a shot. All right, guys. Thank you very much. That's all of my pitching. I have to pitch. Please tell your friends and come out for the live shows. Every gal that comes out for the live show makes it more comfortable for another gal to come out to the live show. Please come out to the live show. Please tell your friends. They're an amazing time. You even get more of me. All right, guys. Thank you very, 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 very much. That's the end of the show. I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye. We're easily doing over two hours every time now. Come out with more requests. Come out with more stuff. Come out with more girls. Come out with more dollar bills to stuff and too much G-string.